I want to talk to you today about perhaps one of the greatest citywide revivals that ever took place. I'm not going to tell you who the gentleman's name was. But there was this man who God called to go into a city and preach repentance. This city was a capital city of their day. God called it a great city. This man was called by God and he goes into the city and it took him three days to walk through the city. And as he walked through the city, he simply preached a message of God's coming judgment. That God is coming and God is going to bring judgment upon this city. That you need to turn from your wicked ways and repent because God is coming and he's going to overthrow this city. And as he walked through that city, now you have to understand this, this was a historical city. It was a very evil and immoral city. It was a very violent city. The people, they were so violent that one of the prophets from the scripture refers to them as the city of blood. They were so, you know what they would do to people? Their enemies, they would cut off their limbs. Just cut them off. If you read about history of these people, what they would do is, They would skin people alive and take their skin and cover the walls with people's skin, filleting them alive. They would burn people alive. They would stick people, stick them through with stakes and stake them up alive. They would do such violent and evil and horrible things to people. Uh, One historical account, is that there was a leader who they overcame. You know, the king of this city overcame another leader, and he brought him into their city, and he took a metal object and stuck it through his jaw, up through his mouth, up through his neck, and he put a rope in there, or a chain in there, and he tied him with a thing through his jaw, and then he put him in a dog kennel and kept him there on display. They were vicious. They were some of the most vicious, mean people who have ever lived. I mean, just atrocities. And God calls this man to walk into the city. And as he walks into the city, and as he declares that God's judgment is coming, the people begin to turn from their wicked ways. In that time, a sign of repentance was putting on sackcloth. And so they covered themselves and they called a fast. When the people heard that God was going to judge them, they called for a fast. And the news of God's coming judgment reached even the king. And he said that everybody in the city is going to fast. Not just moms and dads, but boys and girls. Everybody is going to put on sackcloth. Even the animals, the beasts of the field, had to fast. They couldn't eat or drink. And they covered them with sackcloth. Some historians say that it was up to 600,000 people that inhabited that city. Up to 600,000. Can you imagine how exciting? I mean, it was such an ungodly city. Can you imagine how exciting it would be? If you walked into a city that's so vile and ungodly and so evil, and in three days of walking and preaching the word of God, the whole city repents. I was thinking about, as we were out at General Council, the missionaries. And when you think about it, that many of the missionaries of the past, when God would call them, God would call them to go to a place that they had never been before, to a people who they had never seen. 
And they would often go and they would leave behind their families. And they would leave behind their businesses. And they would leave behind their occupations to go to a people who they've never seen with the desire to do one thing. To preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Oftentimes what we find is you look at places around the world. Our fellowship's been around for about 100 years. It'll soon be 100 years, the Assemblies of God. They've grown to, I believe it's 68 million people in 100 years. Pretty awesome results. And it's not because of our skill or our abilities. It's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says this. Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem until you've been endued with power from the Holy Spirit. He said, don't even start. In the scripture, he made this promise that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that has enabled a bunch of rejects because that's what our fellowship was. We were a bunch of rejects. We were a bunch of people. We were not the wealthy. We were not the intelligent. We were not the gifted necessarily. They were people who were simply hungry for God and seeking after God, who set their hearts to draw near to God. And what happened? God filled them with the Holy Spirit and he empowered them and he allowed this group, a small group of people. If you go out to Azusa Street, Lori and I had the chance to go there in California, Azusa Street in Los Angeles. There's nothing there now but a little sign. That's all that's there from what started. But God started something there in Azusa Street about a hundred years ago. And he poured out his spirit there afresh and anew once again. And from that, not only the Assemblies of God, but but many other Pentecostal denominations have grown out of that. And the empowerment of the Holy Spirit has been what's enabled the church to reach 60-some million people. Just one denomination. 68 million people. I believe there's like 500 million people who would consider themselves either Pentecostal or spirit-filled or charismatic. When what we find here is that there were many missionaries who left everything to go. When they went, they didn't expect ever to come back. And if you go over and walk through some of the graveyards and places in Africa, you will find the names You'll find the names of many families who lost missionaries who, when they went there, their children got sick. And because of the diseases and the things that were there, many of them lost their children and lost their spouses. They died there and they continued to minister to reach those people. They sacrificed everything. And you know what? Many of them saw one or two people. I don't know that I could give up my son or my daughter, or my wife, and work for 40 years and see one person saved or two people saved. But what we've seen is that over the years that God has built his church in places like Africa and in China and around the world, God has established his church. But it was because of the sacrifice of many of these missionaries. And around the world, we have pastors who have labored for years and years. They've left behind their own dreams and their own goals. They've left behind their business or their occupation. And they've given themselves fully to the ministry. And they've seen a half a dozen people saved. And we have this turkey who we're talking about today. And he goes into town. And in three days, he preaches. And the whole city repents. God said 40 days and I'm going to destroy this city. 
It took 150 years for God to bring judgment upon that city because that generation repented and turned. The Bible says that they turned from their wicked ways and they turned and they repented and they turned and followed God. But the next generations that grew up can turn back to their evil ways. 150 years, God withheld his judgment. And what we find here is we find this guy who walked in and preached a message that in three days, the whole city repents and turns to God. But he has a problem. Do you know who we're talking about? Did you see my sign? We're talking about Jonah and the city of Nineveh. Jonah went in. Now here's where the problem was. God's question to Jonah, and you can turn to Jonah chapter 4. God's question to Jonah was, what are you so mad about? Look to the person next to you and say, what are you so mad about? Everybody thinks that the story of Jonah is all about the ship and the whale. No. That's just one part of the book of Jonah. That's not the real issue that God is dealing with. God really don't care too much about ships. And he's trying to deal with his prophet Jonah. And God will do whatever he needs to do to deal with his people. God will do whatever he needs to do to bring about his purposes and his plans of redemption to people who are lost and without him. God will do whatever is necessary. book of Jonah, if you study it, is really not about a fish. That's not the main character of the story. Jonah chapter 4. What we find is Jonah's just preached and everybody's repented. Okay? Chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Jonah needs to talk to those missionaries. That mean, what a clown. He needs to talk to those missionaries who've given their lives 40, 50 years and seen their children die on a mission field. He needs to talk to those preachers of the inner city church who sacrificed and gave of themselves and see absolutely nothing done. They can't see anything visible. But Jonah's ticked off. Jonah's angry. Jonah was greatly displeased. And if you look at the word, what it means is when it says he became angry, he became hot. Any of you get hot? Certain things, right? Jonah became hot. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said while I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. See God, I knew it would happen. That's why, I, you know, when he fled to Tarshish, he went to the exact opposite as far away that they knew at the time that he could possibly go from the call of God and from the will of God. That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take my life. For it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied to him, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah said, Man, I knew it. I knew it was going to happen. I knew if I preached, they would all get saved and turn from their wicked ways. What a turkey he is. He said, God, I knew that you're gracious. I knew that you're compassionate. I knew that you're abounding in love. And I did not want that. The whole city turns from their wickedness and the prophet becomes angry. That doesn't make sense, does it? 
But we have to understand that God is trying to deal with his prophet Jonah. God is trying to deal with the heart of this man of God. If you read through the book of Jonah, you'll find that God continually provides. And everything he provides responds and obeys the word of God except for one thing. Do you know what that one thing is? His prophet. Every, the man of God. Everything else that God... You, I want you to go home and read through the book of Jonah. You'll find again and again it says, And God provided. And God provided a great storm. And God provided a great... He provided a great fish. And God provided a worm. And God provided the vine. And God provided a wind. And God provided the sun. God provided all of these things. All of them obeyed the voice of God except for the prophet. Doesn't make sense. I want you to understand this very quickly. When we talk about God providing, God will provide what is necessary in your life. He will provide the storms that are necessary for him to fulfill his will and get you into the place that you're supposed to be if you're a child of God. He'll provide that. If he has to send a storm, he'll send it your way. If he has to send a worm to eat the vine that's making you a little bit comfortable, he'll do that. Why? Because God is trying to get us into the proper place that we need to be in. Notice this. God provided the winds and the waves, and they obeyed the voice of the Lord. God provided a great fish, and the great fish obeyed the Lord and swallowed Jonah. God provided the sailors, and the sailors obeyed the word of the Lord and threw Jonah into the sea. The inhabitants of Nineveh obey the voice of the Lord. The pagan king obeyed the voice of the Lord. The cattle obey the word of the Lord. The plant obeys the word of the Lord. The worm obeys the word of the Lord. The sun and the wind obey the word of the Lord. The only thing in the whole book of Jonah that does not obey the word of the Lord is the Lord's servant, Jonah himself. His anger led him to a place that he would rather be dead than alive. That's what he said. The anger in his heart. Now what we have to understand is this. Jonah had in his heart a great deal of prejudice and resentment towards the people of Nineveh. He didn't think that God should forgive people like them. He didn't think that God should be merciful to people like them. He understood that if Nineveh continued to grow and prosper and be, uh, go on their evil way, that they would hurt and destroy much of Israel and they would hurt God's people. And he had a hatred in his heart for them. He was mad. He got hot because God didn't do what he wanted God to do. What did Jonah want God to do? He wanted to, God, God strike them. God burn them up. God make their life horrible. God, wipe them off the face of the earth. That's what Jonah wanted for the people of Nineveh. Jonah did not want them to repent and turn. Jonah didn't want them to be godly. Jonah, the prophet, the man of God, wanted them to be utterly destroyed. Jonah didn't admit that he was angry. But God asked him, Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? Jonah won't admit that he's angry. Have, you ever, have any of you like that? No, I'm not mad. Wow, your body language says that you are. Your smart aleck remarks say that you are. 
The look on your face says that you are, but you say, no, I'm not mad. That's what Jonah did. I'm not mad. Jonah did not, we're not, I'm not talking, God. Jonah shut his mouth, and he went out and he pouted. Any of you ever do that? You don't get your way? Something happens, you go out, cross your arms, and start pouting. Sometimes we don't even have to make a face. How about the breathing? And it, That's it. With Jonah, Jonah does it. He won't admit that he's mad. He won't admit it. God, I knew you were going to do this. That's why I went the other way. Don't you see, God? Because I knew that you'd be gracious and compassionate to these people. If we look at verses 5 and on, it says, Jonah went out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, and he sat in its shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy with the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. Do you notice there what the thing I said to you? Each of these things God provides. Listen to me. Some of the garbage that's gone in your life that you think is a mess, it's God providing for you. The hassles that you're going through, it's God providing for you. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. It's not something terrible. It's God providing it for you. He's giving you an opportunity to grow up. He's given you an opportunity to mature. He's given you an opportunity to deal with that crazy stuff that's in your heart and your head. Okay? So it wasn't an accident. It was God provided it. God provided a worm. And what happens? Which chewed the vine so that it withered. Then when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. See that? He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. And I am angry enough to die. Jonah finally admits to God that he's mad. Yes, I do have a right to be angry. And I'm mad enough that I want to die. Now earlier, Jonah did not admit to God that he was angry. But now he was going to pout. He walks out. He builds some kind of shelter to shelter him from the sun. And he sits down. He says, I got 37 more days. He props up his feet. I'm going to see what God will do. There he is pouting. Maybe, maybe God will change his mind and strike him dead. Maybe, let's just see what happens. And he sits there with his arms crossed. And I want you to notice that Jonah is so concerned about his own comfort As he's sitting there, God provides a vine. Commentators will talk about different kinds of vines that grow super fast and all that stuff. Whatever type of vine and, and, you know, ones that have huge leaves and grow up overnight and stuff like that in certain areas. But God provides this vine. It grows up. And Jonah's happy. He's happy because now he's comfortable. He's happy because now, because the world revolves around Jonah, right? Just like sometimes we think the world revolves around us, right? It's all about my comfort. Isn't that why Jesus came to die for my comfort? 
Isn't that what he called me to be? Comfortable? Isn't that what he called me to? A life of ease? Never having a stress? Never having a hassle? Isn't that what he called me to? Isn't that what he wants from me? I don't know. I'm going to tell you, when that's what your worldview is, you're a miserable person. When you think that the world revolves around you and that all it's about is your comfort and your satisfaction, you are a miserable person and you're miserable to be around. Somebody just say amen. When you and I understand that we've been called to be servants of the Most High God, that when we give our life away, when we lose ourselves, then we finally find it. As long as I'm trying to keep my life and hold on to it, it always slips out of our hands. But when you willingly give your life, when you willingly lose your life, it's then that you find true fulfillment and true satisfaction. It's in dying to ourself that we really learn to live. And so Jonah is, he's selfish and he's self-centered and so he built himself this, he sits under it and he waits. But God not only provided the vine which gave him some relief, God also provided a worm, ate the vine so that it withered. And this sets Jonah off. What sets you off? If you're at a place where little things set you off really quick, God might be talking to you today. If, you know, so you say, no, it's not, no, pastor, you don't understand. It's all these idiots that I work with. It's not me. It's just that I just work with a bunch of incompetent people. It can't be me. It's not me. Adam said of Eve, it's this woman you gave me, Lord. And some of you may say, it's this husband you gave me, Lord. But this sets Jonah off. It was a sunny, hot day, so Jonah wants to die. He said, it'd be better for me to die than to live. I want you to notice this. Jonah is mad about everything. God asked him this question. Jonah, do you got a right to be angry about the vine? Jonah says, yeah, I do have a right to be angry. And I'm angry enough to die. A little extreme, don't you think? A little overreacting. Why is Jonah mad? You really don't have a whole lot. It's kind of like us sometimes. You know, certain little things set you off but it really don't have to do with what sets you off. You know what I'm talking about? Little things. They're not really big things, but it's something little that sets you off. And when that happens, oftentimes too bad for the people who happen to be around then. Right? When those little things set you off that really don't matter. The vine really wasn't the important thing. Jonah had a deeper issue. Jonah was mad at God. Jonah hated these people from Nineveh. He had resentments in his heart towards them. He did not agree and did not think God should forgive those kind of people. He didn't think God should give people like that a chance. He thought God should wipe them out. And he just could not imagine that God is going to let these guys off. He's, if I, I preach to them, they're going to repent. And he won't kill them. And I want him to kill them. I want him to strike them dead. Jonah didn't care. He didn't care those 40 days until they died. He'd be happy if they died in 40 days. You see, there was issues in Jonah's heart that were much bigger than this vine. Can I, can I say this to you? Sometimes the way we respond to things. There's bigger issues that don't have anything to do with the clerk 
who seems so incompetent? It don't have anything to do with her. And yet you'll take it out on her. It don't have anything to do with the waitress. Yet you'll take it out on her. It don't have anything to do with your kids. It don't have anything to do with your kids. But you'll take it out on them. It don't have anything to do with your husband or, or your wife. Yet we feel it's okay. Let me ask you. Is that okay? Who justified you to act that way? Who says it's appropriate? Who says it's appropriate for you to take out your frustrations and, and your, you know, can, can we be honest? A lot of times it's stuff in us. There's things about ourselves that we don't like. There's weaknesses that we see about ourselves that we're disappointed in. There's times where we're mad ab- about just the circumstances that life has brought our way. And we don't want to admit that. There's times where we're disappointed because God has chosen to do something or not do something. And we don't want to admit that, God, I just don't understand what you're doing. We don't want to admit that we have weaknesses and frailties and and flaws and, and times that we don't even like ourselves. But we'll blame it on somebody else. We don't want to be honest with God at times. And we don't want to be honest with ourselves. Because it's a whole lot easier to blame it on you and you and all these incompetent crazy people that I live with or who are around me than what it is to honestly deal with the situations that are in our own hearts. And so Jonah, what we find here is with Jonah, he said he could not understand why God would spare those Ninevites. Let me ask you this question today. What are you mad about? What are you so mad about? But seriously, Jonah's anger in his heart made him want to die. He said, I don't even want to live. God, if you're going to save these people, I don't even want to live. If you're going to bring revival to a whole city, I don't want to live. Isn't that absurd? God, if a whole city is going to repent and turn from their wickedness, I don't want to live. How about some of the excuses that you and I have? about anger in our hearts? How about some of the attitudes that we just want to throw up our hands and die? Like if, no one, a lot of times we can't sit down and tell you that, but to be honest with you, a lot of the things that we're making big issues about aren't worth a hill of beans. Oh no, but it's personal to me. You can say, as I said before, I'm not mad. I'm not mad, pastor. Tell yourself that. It's just I work with a bunch of idiots. I'm not mad. It's just that everyone else around me is incompetent. I'm not mad. It's just that nobody around here appreciates me. You know, when you and I are, at least when we're angry, let's just be honest, and just say, I'm angry. I'm upset. I don't understand why God let this happen. God can handle us being honest and straightforward with him. And finally, what we find here is that Jonah finally says, yeah, God, I'm mad and I'm mad enough to die. You know, when you're mad, you're miserable yourself and you make other people around you miserable. When you and I let anger control us, it makes the people around us, it's it's horrible to be around someone who's mad all the time. It's horrible, especially when you don't know what, have you ever been around someone like that? You got to walk on eggshells around them. 
You, you don't know what you're going to say that's going to set them off. And oftentimes, you know, this is often the case in people's homes. This is often the case in people who are the closest. And this is one of the things is that destroys families and homes. It destroys relationships between moms and dad and their children. It destroys relationships between husbands and wives. This internal anger that you can't necessarily put your finger on, but you're just ticked off all the time. God asks him a question. God says this to him. Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine Though you didn't tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? Now, the book of Jonah ends there. It kind of leaves us hanging. It doesn't tell us what Jonah did. Did you notice that? In life, in, in our messages, when I preach a message, we like our messages to be like a sitcom. We like to have it start and do the whole cycle and be done in 30 minutes. And be all wrapped up and like a, in a pretty bow. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. Uh, let's go home and be happy. But you know what? There's a lot of situations in our lives that can't be wrapped up in 30 minutes. There's a lot of things in our lives aren't real pretty. I wish they were. There's some things that we can't necessarily solve in a 30-minute thing with a few commercials in between. I think that's maybe why God left it that way. Because as we look at the book of Jonah, we don't know what he did. We see God intervening in his life again and again. By the way, just like he's intervening in yours and mine, he does it again and again. But it doesn't tell us the outcome doesn't say it's not solved in a moment what are you going to do with the places in your life that are complicated what are you going to do with the things in your life that you just don't understand and they just make you furious what are you going to do about those unresolved places you know what I'm talking about those unresolved things that sometimes people can't just talk you through. You may, standing from the outside, if someone explains it to you, it makes total sense to you what they're saying, but when you're the person who's lived it, it's a lot harder. It's a lot more complicated. It's a lot more difficult. Well, yeah, I know that I should forgive, but... I know I should let it go, but... I know how I should handle it, but... Even this great prophet dealt with those kind of issues. This man who could go into town and preach a message for three days doesn't say he expounded all of God's truth. He went into town and preached that judgment was coming, and in three days the whole city repents. What are you going to do with the issues in your life that just keep recurring back again and again and again? Those things where God's taking you through the taking you through the ringer a time or two, and yet they don't seem to be resolved. You can't finish it in a thirty-minute sermon. What are you going to do with those places? What are you going to do with God's will for your life? How are you going to handle it? That remains to be seen, doesn't it? That's kind of how we're going to end it today, because really, it's in your hands.
What does God want from you? You already know. And he doesn't want you to do his will and be pouting about it. That's what Jonah did. All right. God, you know, Jonah's song of praise, if you read chapter 2, it's a song of praise about God rescuing him out of the depths of the sea. And he's praising God and thanking God of how God rescued him and God saved him and spared him. And then why is God doing all that? God's trying to get him into a place. God's trying to deal with these resentments and this bitterness and all this garbage towards the people, the Ninevites and to that nation. And Jonah can't see it. God doesn't want you to obey him and then be bitter and angry about it. God wants to deal with the deeper issues in your life. We probably can't deal with it in 30 seconds. But we probably got a pretty good place to start. And I think you know, you know when God's speaking to you, don't you? Because you can hear his voice. And you know if he has to take you through a few storms, he'll do that. If he has to provide a, a big old fish to swallow you up, he'll do that. But it's not easy to solve. What are you going to do? Lord, as you've spoken to our hearts today, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for giving us insight. I thank you, Lord, as we look at Jonah, we see the difference between Jonah's view and his opinions and God's. While, Lord, we don't see what the end result was, we don't understand all that took place or how long it took Jonah, we do understand that there's times in our lives that there's things that you ask us to do that just seem so hard. It seems so complicated. There's times, Lord, when we're just angry and we don't know why. We want to blame it on somebody else. I want to point a finger at somebody else. But oftentimes, Lord, it's a a symptom. Maybe it's a symptom of our rebelliousness. Maybe it's a symptom of some kind of sin in our lives. Maybe it's a symptom of a place that needs to be healed. A wound that needs to be cleansed. And restored. I thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is here today and that He can speak to the specific details of your people's lives. And I thank you that as we sit here, that the Holy Spirit, I just want you to listen, the sense that the Holy Spirit will speak to you specifically and He's going to reveal things to you as we sit here, things that are going to need to be let go of things that are going to need to be surrendered, things that are going to need to be yielded, places in your life that you didn't know that are wounds that need to be restored. The Holy Spirit's just going to speak to you today. He's going to provide you a prescription. He's going to put you on a course towards wholeness. And you know what? There's some people here, you're going to quit hurting the people around you by the things that you say, by the attitude that you have. God's going to make you aware I just believe that. I believe God's going to make people aware of just this like an incredible self-awareness of at times how selfish we can be. Not that you're not hurt, but how selfish. And you know, I just believe God's going to get our eyes off of us and onto him. Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name that you would accomplish the purpose for which your word was sent. I pray in Jesus' name that you would complete a work that you're starting right now. 
in your people's lives. I pray for years to come. I pray for years to come that people will remember this message. And for years to come, they would look back on today as a day of freedom, as a day of liberty, as a day of awakening for them. I pray that some people, maybe they just, they had set their mind on doing something. They'd set their mind. I'd set their heart. I'm going to do this. I'm going to say that. I'm going to act like this. God, I just thank you that you're just changing people's courses. And you're aligning them up with the will and the purposes of God. Well, thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.